Hey, beer nerds. Welcome to the podcast. I'll make this short and to the point, but as you may remember, I want to take this show on the road. And to start for this episode, I, I traveled up north to Bloomington, Indiana to hang out with Doug Dayhoff. He's the uh, the president of Upland Brewing. In addition uh, to, a, to a great tour and, and a great tasting, Doug sat down with me uh, in, to discuss Upland in, in you know great detail. This is going to be probably one of my favorite interviews to date. Um, as I said, I'd like to travel to breweries more often um, for, for all these interviews to do in, in person. Uh, if you want, feel free to head over to www.gofundme.com slash buildingbreweries and contribute to make that goal possible. Uh, a little does go a long way. Otherwise, please be sure to rate and subscribe and share and then, and then follow Building Breweries on Facebook to stay up to date. All right, I'm up here in Bloomington, Indiana with Doug Dayhoff. He is the president of Upland Brewing. Doug, what's going on? Hey, man. It's a beautiful day. Thanks yeah. for coming up. Yeah, thanks for joining me. Um, so before we get to the uh, the background of Upland, I'd like to get to the background of, of yourself a little bit. Sure. Sure. Yeah, so uh, I'm uh, Indiana native. Came down here to Bloomington for undergrad, went away out east for uh, grad school, and then came back to Bloomington in 1995, and I've been here ever since. So uh, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty born and bred Hoosier, I guess you'd say. And, and how did you get hooked up with Upland? Yeah, so Upland was founded by a friend of mine in uh, 1998, and uh, I'd been around for the, uh, the founding, was a fan of the brewery, and about 10 years ago in uh, 2006, I guess it was, I was having lunch in the pub, and he came up and we started chatting, and he said, yeah, I'm thinking about selling the brewery, and I said, well, I'd, I'd love to take a look at it. So it was just <laughs> kind of one of those weird moments that uh, I decided to come have lunch at the pub and then you end up uh, six or eight you months later. You end up later, buying a brewery. Pretty, <laughs> pretty, yes. pretty normal American it, story. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, what can you um, what can you say about the founders? I'm just, just so we know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is, it's really interesting. In 1998, there were about four or five breweries in the state of Indiana. Um, so they were one of the original pioneers. Three Floyds found it, was founded about the same time. Uh one up in Lafayette, Indiana, another one or two in Indianapolis, but the uh, but the 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 group of guys were really like figuring it out. And in terms of craft beer in, in the Midwest, I'm sure it's the same down in Kentucky as well. You know, it's it was uh, uh, hard to get people to even try something mm-hmm. that wasn't you know pale and flavorless. <laughs> so uh, so they were they really did the the hard you know sod busting so to speak here in the Midwest and. Uh, you know, had a had a great run at it, and they all kind of went their separate ways. And and the the founder, who's a friend of mine, uh, ended up with it, and um, just he decided it was time for him to move on too. All right. Now, so just so you know, people that listen to this, um, while a lot of them are kind of centered in this in this Midwest area, I do have some outliers from people from outside of the state and outside sure. of the outside of the region. Um, so why why Upland? Why that name? Yeah, so um, for people who don't know this part of the world, um, as you go north from where we sit in Bloomington, basically all the way up through Michigan, it's a relatively flat, uh, relatively flat because the glaciers came down. Well, the glaciers just stopped uh, just a little bit north of Bloomington, and what was left was this hilly uh, geologic formation that ran down runs down to the 
Ohio River, and one's called the Norman Uplands, and the other is called the Crawford Uplands. They kind of parallel each <laughs> other as they run down toward Louisville. And so this hilly region is, is um, what defi- you know makes southern Bloomington in particular, but parts of southern Indiana sort of unique from the rest of it. And uh, so that's why they decided to uh, grab onto that. Yeah, I think it, it, it absolutely separates Indiana. I mean, for the most part, I think northern Indiana is completely different than southern Indiana. Might yeah. as well just be two states, honestly, in, yeah. in my opinion. Um, what, what kind of changes have you seen Upland go through over the last you know, 20 plus years? Right. So, well, I'll, I'll talk, you know, from, from the beginning, it was always a packaging brewery. They always, even, even from day one, they had the intent not just to sell in their pub, um, but also to package. And, you know, frankly, that's kind of a foolish thing to do because, <laughs> because selling at the wholesale level is not a very profitable, uh, not, not very profitable when you're at small scale and certainly at startup, but they made a go of it and they, uh, developed a great little pub and, and over time developed a really, um, strong team, both on the, on the, uh, brewing side, as well as the pub management side. And we've really kind of built, just tried to build on that. 10 years ago when I got involved, there were 20 employees. We were doing, gosh, uh, less than 3000 barrels of beer a year. And this year got, we're pushing 220 employees. Uh, we'll do 16 or 17,000 barrels. Um, most all of which is in the state of Indiana, uh, and about 10 or 15% of which we sell through our own pubs, but the rest of it is now, uh, wholesale. Uh, what what kind of styles does Upland produce annually? Yeah. Many different kinds. Yeah, so I think um, on, on we we basically have two breweries. I'm sure we'll talk about that sure. um, because that's one of the big changes in the last ten years. Is is we have a traditional uh, ale and lager clean brewery, uh, and that produces somewhere in the neighborhood of twenty beers a year, twenty five beers a year, um, six or seven every day. And then the rest are seasonal and specialty, small batch kind of things. So um, probably two-thirds of those are distributed at the wholesale level. About a third of them you just get through our pubs. And then on the in the Wood Age Sour Brewery, we produce 40 beers a year, maybe 45. Um, almost all of them small batch. Uh, currently none are produced year-round. They're all... Uh, you know, all seasonal or, you know, limited release kind of beers. And historically that, that program has been exclusively uh, all of our production was sold via lottery, online lottery. And, uh, and basically, um, you know, cleared us out Mm -hmm. when we would do a lottery, people would come pick up the, pick up the beers at the pub. And uh, that was it. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, and what what is exactly is Uplands Reach dis- distribution wise? Yeah, so statewide in Indiana, um, Illinois, Southern Wisconsin, Louisville, and uh, then a little bit over in the Cincinnati area. Do you have future plans to, you know, go out a little bit more? You know, on the core on the on the core side of the brew, you know, the core beers, we're very hunkered down where we are, and in fact, probably concentrating more um, on the state rather than pushing further. The sour side, however, we just completed a uh, this big new uh, wood sour brewery, and um, we're amping up our uh, production there, and we'll start um, just delivering small quantities of certain beers out into large metros. Hmm. We're going to start with uh, Boston in November, 
and uh, probably do a couple more East Coast, uh, big East Coast cities uh, in first quarter of next year. That's excellent. I didn't know that. Yeah. Let's talk about the uh, about the Champagne Velvet for a second. Sure. How much do you know about that? I, we know a lot about it. I didn't know a lot about <laughs> it um, until our 15th anniversary. Um, I, kn- I knew a little bit. It, it was the flagship of uh, a brewery called the Terre Haute Brewing Company, which was um, you know a 19th century brewery that um, was doing interesting things, was growing here regionally nicely, and then they developed this recipe for uh, Pilsner, uh, that they called Champagne Velvet in 1902. And that beer became the flagship of the brewery pretty rapidly and grew to be about a 400,000 barrel beer mm-hmm. um, back when the United States only had 100 million people in it. So like today, that would be a, a 1.2 million you know, population adjusted. That would be a right. 1.2 million barrel beer. So that would be a, you know, a, a Sam... Uh, a Sierra Pale, right. you know, uh, bigger than or at least as big as Fat Tire. You know, it was a it was a really big, big, uh, important beer in the United States. Certainly here in the region, but actually, uh, somebody just sent me a, this old antique photo from Atlanta where there was a painted billboard for Champagne Velvet on the side of a uh-huh. of an old building in Atlanta back in the nineteen. 19- 20s or maybe it was right after prohibition it was kind of an old photograph but the um the brewery uh was succeeding famously obviously prohibition put a put a bit of a kick in it but it came back and actually that's when uh come the 40s 30s and or after prohibition up through the 40s that that's when champagne velvet peaked um was sent around for the war you know world war ii champagne velvet was shipped over to europe some really cool old photos of that um and then in the consolidation phase of of you know the united states brewing history so in the 50s and 60s what ended up happening was uh Terre Haute brewing company sold to the uh, evansville brewing company who then sold to the pittsburgh brewing hmm. company who then sold to the paps brewing company right. so this ends so 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 champagne velvet went you know from being the the proud flagship of an independent brewery to being one of you know dozens of pilsner uh beers in a portfolio of a conglomerate and and you know consolidation and you can watch i mean they've got some of the coolest old um you know obviously the name champagne velvet is a cool name, yeah, it's a cool I, name. I, I don't think I, yeah i, I want to drink it <laughs> i know yeah yeah so and, and and amazing label art um and and through its history but you can watch when we were researching doing all this research before we launched the beer um, you can watch what's going on with the beer labels and then start to see this death spiral start to happen in the 60s as they start to position it within this bigger portfolio. Mm-hmm. And then it was champagne velvet malt liquor in the 60s, you know, late 60s. It was like a real disaster, and ultimately they stopped production of it. A guy in Terre Haute, um, back around 1990, right around late 90s, 2000, um, who was a big fan of it and wanted to see that beer come back for the sake of Terre Haute, uh, kind of fought through the Paps portfolio, tried to restart the brewery, tried to relaunch the beer. He wasn't successful, mm-hmm. kind of laid around for a few years. And then we were having our 15th anniversary um, a couple years back. And, you know, we had always done a special anniversary beer. and um, but, but it was kind of that phase where, 
you know, all kinds of new people were coming to the brewing industry and, and, um, you know, I thought it was kind of more important to remind ourselves, you know, 15 years of Upland is really cool, but we're kind of walking in the footsteps of giants that came before mm -hmm. us. So rather than us do another beer, um, we got hold of this guy in Terre Haute who had the, the trademark and, and remarkably he also, I mean, as a, like five garages full of old Bruriana, <laughs> uh, cans and labels and POS signs and everything. But one of the things that he had, which is really special, um, is the brewer in 1902, um, hand wrote when he was working out the malt, malt bill for, uh, the malt or the grist bill, because it has some corn in it as well. Um, when he was working that out, it was in his notebook and it's in his handwriting and a dated page when he worked, worked this out. And so that was, that was another thing that we, um, we acquired from, Mike in Terre Haute was the uh, yeah, that original. His name, his name was Mike Rowe, but not to be confused with the uh, TV right. personality right. Mike Rowe. Right, right. And I think you just found that in a, in a that notebook at a by, from a friend sold to him for maybe like twenty dollars or something. Yeah. So there's a, a needle brewer's journal, um, and that page was folded up inside of this brewer's <laughs> journal, and they sold that to him, and uh, you know. He just couldn't, you know, he couldn't believe what he had sitting in his hands. I mean, and there's nobody better than him to have it because he was just so deep into it. So, you know, we've we've tried to, we relaunched that beer. Uh, it's been really successful. Um, we, uh, the the uh, label art that we've used is always authentic, very s trying to replicate what they used. Um, we've used both the kind of the, uh, pre-prohibition version, hmm. uh, as well as right now we're using the uh, 1950 plus or minus. Um, this what what you'll see on our label or carriers or our cans. It's very similar to the 1950-52 label. It's really cool. Yeah, yeah, it, it's a great part of Indiana history. So I wanted to bring that up. Let's go back to that sour ale program, though. Um, I guess you started first making them in what 2006 or so. Yeah, so it was about the time I got involved in the in the business, and I, um, shortly thereafter, a few barrels showed up and were stuck back in the grain room, and I saw them there, and I didn't think much about it. And a few months later, I asked our brewer, I said, "What, what's going on in those uh, wine barrels?" And uh, he said, "I'm I'm trying to make uh, a, a, an authentic, um, you know, Belgian style wood aged sour and." Let's see if we can do this. So that that started the program um, right around 2006. We focused initially on trying to replicate uh, fruited lambic styles mm -hmm. and traditional styles. And so uh, over the years, we've um, that that was really the focus until the last couple years and the the goal of um, why we built this facility and expanded the program quite a bit was to to invent some new beers and and we've always played around with some interesting fruits and some non-traditional fruits um a after we started with traditional fruits then we started playing around with non-traditional fruits um and uh today uh, like i said it's uh, it's all over the place we have um beers that feature fruits beers that feature botanicals and spices beers that um, feature actually uh, fresh oak aging and, and tannin property, um, and uh, and the you know the program now is is kind of like just out. It's it's we're trying to just be have as much fun and do interesting things and innovative things with the program. 
At what point, you, you already mentioned that you have the, the wood shop, which is its sole purpose is for that program. At what point did you realize we need to build something special for this? Um, it really goes back to 2010 or 2011 when we had been, we were four or five years into the, into the program um, and we wanted to expand it. Uh, it was sitting basically in a, uh, we were still brewing and, and, and packaging very close, almost side by side with our clean beers, which is a risk. And we were always trying to uh, manage that. Um, but we were kind of out of out of space. And, and so in the decision of whether we were going to build, expand our, our clean brewery here on the side of our original pub or go somewhere else, one of the reasons that we decided to, to go a couple miles away with the with the clean brewery is so that we would have a big open space um, and a, a room to, to grow the sours program. Because again, these are fermentations that are anywhere from four months at the absolute minimum, but most of them uh, 12 to 15 months. And some of them, you know, are uh, sour reserve, which is kind mm -hmm. of an unfruited goose style blend. You know, that's a blend of uh, three year, two year and one year old beers. So, um, so to grow a pro, uh, to grow the program, we needed space because the beer doesn't turn very quickly, mm -hmm. and um, but that I, I can trace that all the way back to 2010, 2011 when we were evaluating how we were going to do our uh, production brewery for the other beers. Mm -hmm. How is Upland involved with the Bloomington community? Yeah, I mean we're 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 deeply deeply involved. Um, with many, many community organizations, um, not just in Bloomington, around the state, and even in some of the out, um, you know, outlying markets where we distribute. I just think that as a small brewer who doesn't have the resources of, you know, the, the billion, the, the billionaire breweries, um, you know, we have to connect with people um, personally, and that we do that through through a lot of community support. I, I think um, last time we measured it, it was forty or $50,000 uh, a year annually in donations of beer um, or uh, money and time. But we, we focus specifically, we do a lot of different things, um, but we focus uh, some specifics around the land, land trust, land conservation, mm -hmm. um, you know, where we are in Indiana. It's... Uh, it's a special place because of the topography and because of the um, trees and, and, and it's not, it's not cornfields, mm -hmm. you know, wall to wall to wall. It's uh, in fact, it's not very agricultural at all around here. So <laughs> the, uh, so, so for us, that natural beauty is something that uh, makes Bloomington a special place to live and kind of informs the culture of a lot of the guy, uh, guys and gals in the brewery are, um, you know, I know just last night uh, a bunch of folks from our pub were, when they got off uh, work, I heard them talking about they were going camping last night mm -hmm. out in the, out in the uh, state forest. So um, that's that's just who we are culturally. Right on. Are there any, are there any underrated Indiana breweries that you'd like to recognize? Oh wow. Well, I mean, I think there's there's so many. You know, it's we've gone from six to a hundred and forty. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. So. <laughs> And the, um, and the, the, I mean, there's some of them now, I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, there's some of them now, I don't even know their names. Sure. I didn't even yeah. know they uh, yeah, existed. Yeah, you don't yeah. even know that they exist. Yeah, so the, um, so, so 
that being said, I mean, I, I think the, um, we've, we've had a lot of fun with, um, and, and you can't, you, you can't say that they're underrated, but, um, the, the 18 straight guys mm-hmm. up in Gary, um, Drew has come down, we've brewed together, had a good time. Um, I personally like a lot of the beer breweries, B-I-E-R beer, mm-hmm. uh, up in, and Black Acre does some, uh, really nice beers as well. So, you know, those are, um, taxman's making some really nice beers just up the road in Bargersville. Um, so I, I, I don't know where I'd start or stop. I've had a sure. good, I've had a good beer from almost every <laughs> single one of them. So I know it's, it's hard to, hard to it's include hard to, people cause I'll leave some yeah, people out leave too. Some people out. So. All right. That, that's not a problem. Yeah. What is, um, what's currently challenging Upland? Yeah, I think, I think the, there, there's two things going on. The, in the 10 years I've been in the business, 10 years ago, it was still um, difficult to, um, you know, craft beer was maybe 2 or 3% of the total market in Indiana, probably 2, maybe not even 2. And it was, at that time, it was still eight tap lines and a typical bar, even a beer-focused bar um, might only have a dozen draft lines in it, and you were kind of fighting to knock Amberbach off. Mm-hmm. I, I can remember that's always like <laughs> Amberbach was always the target. <laughs> just just give me a try with Amberbach. And, you know, today I think on the wholesale side, the that's not the case at all. I mean, it's easy to make a sale, um, but in, in this world where um, bars are rotating draft lines so quickly, your sale is really only good for one keg, whereas in, in, in the old, old world, um, you made that sale, and that, and if your beer sold, it stayed on forever. Stayed now, on. now, if your beer sells really well, it just means you're you're off draft quicker <laughs> than you were uh, before. So, you know, from a business standpoint, it's like, well, how do you navigate the cost of selling, the cost of making those placements uh, in that world? So, it's uh, you know, then that's tough for everyone, frankly. Um, yeah, you see some really great breweries. Um, some amazing national breweries who's, um, you know, down 20%, 30%. I won't name who it is, but it's, it's like, sure. it's like, it's like breweries that are succeeding well, but they're this, this is, um, fighting that on premise in particular, the on premise, mm-hmm. um, side of things is tough. I just have a couple more questions here and I, you have a, you have a pretty busy day ahead of you. Do you watch Parks and Recreation? Did you watch that at all when it was on? I I, uh, I did watch it, um, and I can tell you that the I always knew we never knew when our beer was going to show up on the show. Um, and um, and I always knew when an episode ran that had our beer in it if I wasn't watching it because all of a sudden my phone would yeah. start lighting <laughs> up and I'm like, dude, I think I saw your beer on the t <laughs> on Parks and Rec. And, uh, and so that was always like, if I wasn't watching it, that was like, you knew it it was about to happen. So how did, how did that actually come about? Is that something that they have to contact you all about or vice versa? Yeah, it was, it was really, you know, so Pawnee was kind of loosely based on Lafayette, Indiana, and they were in Lafayette before they shot the first season, just kind of, um, scoping things out, scoping things out, just doing a little field research and they, um, for whatever, for whatever reason, they start, they went around asking people, you know, like, what's the best local beer? And, um, we're just fortunate that everybody they asked said, oh, it's this Upland Brewing Company. And so it was, uh, uh, a funny story. We almost didn't, um, make it because the, they called and, uh, our marketing manager who took the call, um, 
thought it was a spoof and hung up on them. And in fact, hung up on them two times in a row. And then they finally didn't dial his extension. They dialed the, I think they dialed our bartender in the pub. And the bartender in the pub found me and she's like, Doug, I think somebody says they're from Hollywood and they want to put a beer in a show. And I think you should talk to them. And so, um, so yeah, so that was, uh, that was fascinating. Scott, our marketing manager at the time, uh, you know, can't live that one down <laughs> that's, because that's rough. He, he hung, <laughs> yeah, he hung up on him twice. That was like uh, uh, the best PR we ever had. And he yeah. almost blew it. Yeah. A- absolutely. You have Leslie Nope up there drinking yeah. it. Anything else you'd like to add? Any, anything you'd like people to know about? You know, future plans, et cetera? Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. The um, you know our our a lot of our focus right now is, um, scaling up the sours program. So we're going to continue to keep, um, a, a number of beers in very small quantities that you can only get basically through lottery or participating in our secret barrel society, which is, um, kind of a way to, uh, jump to the front of the line. Mm-hmm. But the, um, and, and there are always going to be some beers that you can only get here at the wood shop, our new facility, the tasting room here. Um, but we, but part of this innovation is, is developing some beers, um, that we can take out into wholesale. And so we're going to start in November of this year. We're going to launch in Boston, and we'll probably launch a couple more uh, markets outside the Midwest with um, sour, wood-aged sours. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we'll continue for 2017. That'll be their really big focus. And uh, and we, we're really trying to um, – the tasting room that's here at the, the Sour Brewery is a very – very different drinking experience than any of our other pubs. It's 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 focused very much to just be a tasting room for people to come in, um, take a tour, get educated about the wood age uh, sour process, mixed fermentation, mixed culture fermentations, and uh, so that's pretty cool. Would love to uh, invite people to come uh, check out this brewery as well as our other brewery, but mm-hmm. but come here. This is it's you know we're pushing 500 uh, wine wine barrels in our barrel fleet plus we've got uh eight uh really beautiful big fooders um and uh it's a it's a pretty neat facility mm-hmm. doug thank you so much for inviting me here and your hospitality i'm uh, i'm getting pretty thirsty so i think i might head downstairs and have something to drink yeah michael i'm i'm with you let's see how i do it <laughs> all right take care yeah cheers Thank you.